Right, so again, thank you to Justin. We are today in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have a Bible, you can meet me there. Um, as you're doing that, let me introduce myself. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. You can email me about baptism, apparently. So I'm excited to hear uh, from you. I, I say apparently. I wrote the announcement. So obviously I knew that was coming. Um, anyway, uh, it's good to be together this morning as we continue this conversation called integrity. And as we continue to tackle a, a difficult thing to talk about in church, right, which is the topic of money and our Resources. As you're looking at Matthew 25, though, I just want to say one more thing. Tonight is Davis Neighbors Night Out. And this is a really cool thing that our city does to encourage people within neighborhoods to get together and, and hang out and spend some time uh, getting to know one another. And if you are looking for something to do tonight, we just strongly encourage you to check out what is happening in your neighborhood. You can Google Davis Neighbors Night Out or go to the city's webpage to find out all that info. Or come to South Davis where we will have ice cream. All right. Either way, um, it's going to be a wonderful time. So don't forget about that. Check that out if you are able to. All right. Matthew chapter 25. We are going to read uh, starting in verse 14. Um, this is a story, a parable that Jesus tells. And it goes like this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew. This is a very different response. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. Here is what belongs to you. We'll pause there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask once again for an extra measure of grace this morning. As we dig into this aspect of generosity, the ways in which that we can be generous with the financial resources you have entrusted us with, this brings up a lot of stuff for us. And so God, I just ask that you would take all of that stuff that we bring into this moment and hold it for us so that we can come at this in a fresh way, that we can hear uh, some new thing from you Maybe it's challenge, maybe it's encouragement, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's grace. But whatever it may be, God, this reminder that you hold it all. And we are simply stewards or managers of what you have 
entrusted us with. God, we pray that you would speak this morning. Would you tune our hearts to hear your voice and give us the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. And everybody said, amen. All right, just as a reminder, this is the fourth week now in this conversation. We're talking about the idea of integrity. And we're using the definition straight out of the dictionary. This is the state of being whole and undivided. Now, oftentimes, integrity conversations can trend to morality and being a good person and doing the right thing. And while that's not necessarily wrong, we've been saying that's a thin understanding of the idea of integrity, whereas whole and undivided reflects the thicker teaching of Jesus, right? Jesus, who invites us to love God with all of us, all of our heart and soul and strength and mind, and then also to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? The whole undivided integral life that Jesus invites us into. Interestingly enough, at the heart of integrity is this idea of generosity, I think sometimes we think of, you know, oh, integrity, I gotta be, I gotta do all this work on myself, and it's good to do work on yourself, right? But at the same time, there's this truth that we grow in wholeness and undividedness as we give ourselves away. This quote from Erman McManus has been our sort of big, big idea for the conversation. Wholeness is not found through receiving, but through giving. Wholeness and generosity are inseparably linked. Paradoxically, we become whole as we give ourselves away. So we've been digging in time and our talents and our treasures to express our love for God and for our neighbors. So last week we started the treasure conversation and we talked about how generosity with our treasure frees us from, right? Frees us from the idol of money in particular. This week we're looking at what generosity with our treasure frees us to. So freedom from and now freedom to. So to Matthew chapter 25, I just want to hit three key phrases in this story. This is actually an incredible story with many layers, a lot of different things going on that we could dig into. But I want us to just look at three things that help frame this conversation about integrity. So the first phrase comes right at the very beginning of this story. Again, it will be like. Jesus, here in Matthew 25, is telling a series of stories. It's his last big teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, as Matthew tells us the Jesus story. This is like his last stuff, his final thoughts. And a lot of the stories that he tells here are about the things that God cares about the most. He's telling stories about the things that God cares about and he's talking about the future because he wants us to have a hope and a vision for the future. So again, it will be like, he's talking about again, the future is going to look like this. And then he tells three very different stories that speak to that vision for the future. Now within the story itself, I want to just highlight two things. Again, so many other things that we could say from this story. But the two things I want us to see today are that uh, the first two servants, this little phrase, put it to work, right? They put this money that they had been entrusted with to work. This will sound familiar uh, if you were here with us last Sunday, this truth that God gives us resources and, and we don't own it. He owns it. We're simply the stewards or the managers of those resources, And what we see today in this story is that God entrusts us with these things and the expectation is that we put them to work. 
The important distinction in this story is not that two guys doubled their money and one didn't. The important distinction here is that two put their resources to work and the third buried their resources in the ground. And I think this is a really, really important distinction because we live in a world that is obsessed with outcomes. We are obsessed with outcomes. We only do something. If it accomplishes a thing, we'll only do it, right? If it builds our resume or if it gets us more followers or if it fixes a problem. The ultimate question in our cultural moment is, but does it work? But does it work? Man, that is a great question in some ways, right? It sounds really good because we don't want to do things that don't work. Right? We don't want to spin our wheels. We don't want to waste our time. And yet the kingdom of God is not built on pragmatism. In fact, many of the values of the kingdom of God work against the automatic, the quick, the obvious outcome. Many of the values of the kingdom of God are slow and hard to see and difficult to measure. The question for us as followers of Jesus should not always be, does it work? But did we put to work the things that God has given us? Transformation is found in... And one of the ways that we see this, what's the phrase that we, that we talk about today all the time? Roy, right? Return on investment. It's not, well done, good, good servant, you doubled my money. It's not, well done, a great return on investment. It's well done, good and faithful. Good and faithful servant. God is way more affirming of the faithfulness than the income. Third phrase. Third phrase is share your master's happiness. Share your master's happiness. This is, to me, one of the most uh, incredible truths uh, in Scripture. That God wants to share his joy with us. God wants to share his joy with us. Back to outcomes, there's, there's something beautiful about achieving something, right? <laughs> and thinking about it in our context, there's something beautiful about a church setting a goal. Uh, you know, let's raise X amount of dollars to do this project and hitting that goal and the project happens. That is a beautiful thing. So I don't want to, to undermine that truth. But at the same time, one of the primary benefits of generosity is not always the result. It's, it's participating in and experiencing God's joy. And, and personally speaking, one of the reasons that I love giving is because of, of the stories. It's not about, oh man, I helped pay so-and-so's salary or we did this thing or, or we built this building or whatever it might be. It's about the stories. And again, it just blows me away that God wants to share that joy with us. God wants to share his joy with us. The third servant says, I knew that you were a hard man and so I was afraid and I hid your gold in the ground. Now remember, this is a story about hope Right about a vision for the future, and it reveals that how we view our resources is very closely tied to how we view God. 
This is the the story form of where we were last week in Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we view God as joyful and generous and risk-taking, that leads us to be generous, risk-takers, people who are able to experience joy. A stingy, fearful view of God leads to a stingy, fearful perspective on our stuff. Now, come and share in your master's happiness. I, as a pastor, have the privilege of hearing people reflect on their relationship interaction with God. And I hear people use lots of different language to talk about this experience. And I hear a lot of really good things. Love, holy, just, father. I do also hear negative things, right? God is angry and judgmental. But a word that I very rarely hear is happy. God is happy. And he wants to share his happiness with us. One of the big questions that this story asks of us is to wrestle with this view of God. How do I view God? How do I view my treasure? What does how I view my stuff say about my view of God? And then conversely, how does my view of God impact the ways that I think about, holds, posture myself towards my treasure? Do you believe that God is happy and wants to share his happiness with you? When we experience and know God's love and joy, his grace, his happiness, it frees us up to be generous with our treasure. And like we said last week, it, yes, it does free us from our idols, but it also frees us then to participate. We are free to participate in the joy and happiness of God in building his kingdom. Now, I think that there's a a personal and then a communal aspect to this freedom, too. Last week, I laid out the 10-10-80 plan as a sort of sample budget, a framework, a goal to aim for. I think there's, in our family budget, we support different people who are in ministry. We sponsor a kid through World Vision, but we also have a category in our budget that's just called generosity. All right, some money that we set aside each month for who knows what's going to happen. Maybe there's a a kid's birthday party or maybe there's someone in our family who's in need or maybe there's something that comes up uh, in our in our sort of network of people that they they're asking for something or they you know they fell short on whatever and we get to use that. And there's something about setting it aside Where when those needs come up, we can joyfully respond to it because we have committed to this amount of money each month. And let me tell you this. It is, a lot of our budget categories are not fun, right? Like you just, you got to pay this bill and you got to send this thing off. But this is like the fun category. Because who knows what's going to happen each month? Who knows what need is going to be there? Who knows what story is going to come out of that? Some of our best stories come from this budget item. So there's freedom too on a personal level. There's also freedom too on a communal level. Now I mentioned last week that we did a a series in 2020 called What We Talk About When We Talk About Giving. This was right before uh, COVID. You can even see our old logo. I forgot to talk about this last week. Look at that thing. 
All right, now we have the beautiful gear. Thank you, James. There we go. Anyway, in that conversation, we talked about our, our sort of three words, right, that we use a lot when we, when we speak about financial generosity, what it looks like to give worshipfully, missionally, and sacrificially. Last week, we talked about worship. That worship is that freedom from, right? It puts, this is about putting Jesus at the center. And when Jesus is at the center, it, it sort of kills our idols. It reorients us around what is real and true. Well, mission and sacrifice are about that freedom too and what we get to do communally as a church. Two and a half years ago, we laid out a couple different collective goals. And I wanted to, I wanted to share these with you this morning because it's pretty cool to think about where we were two and a half years ago and where we are now. So one of the goals that we said is that as we grow in generosity as a church, as we participate together in building God's kingdom, one of the things that we would really like to do is invest in leadership development. And I want to read to you exactly what I said in that conversation. And I want you to think about where we are at this moment, all right? This is January of 2020. We've been prototyping an internship program and we would love to see this grow into a year-long development program. The ideal candidate would be someone who had just graduated from UC Davis and feels a call to ministry, but wants to explore that a bit more before committing to seminary or a job. They'd spend a year learning, training, and gaining experience as they discern this call on their lives. And we would love to be able to provide interns with housing so that they could cut down costs and have this collective experience together. Wow. Yes, please clap for that because we are in this right now. Like we have, we have started this program. The first cohort is six weeks in and they're doing a fantastic job. And it was just really interesting to go back and look at my notes from a couple of years ago and go, wow, like we actually did that. That's amazing. And we hope that we do this every year with, with young people going through this program and being developed as leaders, both for now but also for the future, future leaders of the church. Now, another thing that we said that we would love to do is increase our missions giving. And at that time, we were giving somewhere between 6 and 7%, and it's been our stated goal over the last couple of years to get that to 10%. We want to, as a church, model the tithe, where 10% of what comes in goes back out into supporting great work that is happening uh, around our, our you know, locally, around our state, country, and around the world. And this is the first year, this budget year, which started in July 2022-2023, is the first year where we're, we're doing this. We're modeling the tithe as a church. And so that is like a really cool thing that, that's been on my heart for a while. And it's great to see that come to fruition. Now, sometimes the question is, all right, that's great. But where does that 10% go? Well, you can go to our webpage and you can click on generosity. And it will take you to the page where you can see all of our partners. I also want to say uh, Dave and Mihi's son over here. Uh, Becky's here somewhere. Some people on our missions team are always excited to talk about this and, and who we're partnering with and how we make those decisions. They can fill you in on that as well. Now, you can go spend all, all the time you want on there, but there's something about this being more personal and real. So I, we did not plan this, by the way. This is one of those, like, God somehow orchestrated this moment. Welcome him to the stage. And uh, as David makes the long walk up here... Um, 
We have been supporting David and Claudia for a little bit over three years. They work for an organization called Global Scope, which you'll hear more about in just a moment. Um, we actually met like 10 years ago? Um, I think so, in Boston? In Boston. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then um, have become much more well acquainted with each other recently, particularly this year. So uh, some of us got an opportunity to go down to Montevideo, Uruguay in March and hang out with them. And you guys have heard, you know, some of the reports back from that experience. We saw each other in July in yep. Tennessee because obviously that's where you meet up with your friends from South America. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then here you are in Davis here in October. It's been a good year for me to spend with David. And so again, I'm just really glad that you are here this morning to share a, a little bit more. So I got a couple of questions for him and, and you guys will get to hear this and then you can also uh, chat him up after the gathering as well. But why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do, your family, all that good stuff. Well, that's my family, right? That's an awesome picture. I don't look like that every day. But, um, so that's Claudia, my wife, then Emma, and Samuel. Um, so I'm from originally from Santiago, Chile. So Claudia is uh, from there as well. We met at church. We grew up in the church. Um, I guess we met when we were like eight years old, but I only noticed her when I was like 16, which kind of makes sense. And... Um, after a couple of years being friends, we started dating, uh, went to college, and that's when we got involved in this campus ministry that at that time was being planted in Santiago called El Oasis, like the oasis, that's an easy one. <laughs> um, and we, we got uh, really connected with that community, and even though we like, grew up in the church, this uh, campus ministry provided a space for a different kind of conversation. The students in Santiago who wouldn't go to a church would be part of that kind of community. So for us, it was just a different uh, setting. It was a different kind of conversation. And also, we got to share questions that maybe we didn't feel as comfortable asking in our church and getting to listen to questions of people who didn't grow up in the church. So that, that actually like grew our faith uh, exponentially. So it was a great time. Um, so yeah, we, I went to, I did, got a mechanical engineering degree. Cloud is a, what is it called, a nurse practitioner? One of those. I can, do you have different names yeah. for things? So, um, and when I was done with school, um, El Oasis, the staff there, um, offered me the opportunity to intern for a year. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, this community has been so good to me. This ministry has really been so meaningful that I wanted you know, give back. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it for a year because at that time, and I'm not proud of it, but at that time I had this uh, easy goal of being a millionaire by 25. Spoiler alert, didn't happen. Um, so I was, yeah, sure, I'll do it for a year. I'll move it to 26. So, and <laughs> I, I did that year, I worked there and it just changed my whole life. It just, the kind of relationships that I got to build, the, like investing on like students, it just like changed. It made me realize that what I wanted to be at that time was more about like myself. It was about like building or like making a name of myself instead of like investing in people. And this ministry provided an opportunity that I just, I mean, couldn't imagine doing something like that in, like anywhere else. So after that year, Clow and I got married 
and she joined the team as well. We uh, started, began, um, that was her first year as a staff members at the Loasis. And uh, yeah, we were there for like two years and then the opportunity of opening a new campus ministry in South America came up. We went on a scouting, well, I went on a scouting trip um, to Buenos Aires, Argentina, and Montevideo, uh, Uruguay. And it was just, I mean, Buenos Aires was interesting, it's a huge city, a lot of things going on. We, and if you don't know, like Argentina's right here, there's a river, and then Uruguay is like across the river below Brazil, like hanging there. Um, and it was just so different. Like there were no, like, it was hard to find churches and campus ministries were not a thing. There were a few things going on, but not um, the kind of thing that we would do. Um, so we decided that, yeah, that was the next place to go. We committed to being part of that team when, with just one condition. I wouldn't lead that team, which eventually I had to do because that was, that was the way to, I mean, nobody wanted to tell me. We moved to, so, uh, I got to be a team leader, so this happens, I'll just do it. So that's why we moved to the States, uh, to East Tennessee, actually, to go to seminary and raise support. And then in 2015, we moved to Uruguay. So we've been there for like the last seven years. Um, and yeah, it's been interesting. It's a really, really, really different culture, most secular country within the Americas. And just like a short story from the first time I met a student there, this was probably within our first two to three months there. We've been going to like, the camp, different campuses around the city for these last two or three months and really didn't work. Like people were kind of like, we, we couldn't connect. We were like hang out with like Frisbees and like spike ball and I guess we were just odd looking and people wouldn't, you know, <laughs> play with us. So this one time I remember we went to the engineering campus with a Frisbee and we were there like for two hours asking people like, hey, so what do you do? And they were like, oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, just kept walking. So went back home, really like sad and asking myself, like, is this it? This is gonna, this is gonna be like the same thing for a couple of years, and then I'm gonna be like, okay, time to go back to Chile. And I remember walking through the window, like at our apartment, and just like Charlie Brown, you know, like sad and walking. <laughs> and then I saw these three guys playing soccer, like at the beach, and I was like. Would it be too weird if I just like grab this bike ball and go in there and say, hey, this is a fun game, but I only need three more people to play it. Would you be my friend? <laughs> and I said, no, it doesn't really make much, much sense. So I did it. Grabbed this bike ball, went downstairs, and was like, hey, you want to play? This is really, it's a fun game. They were like, uh, yeah, sure. We played for like two hours. I was done. I was so tired. But when we were done, they, so in Uruguay, they drink this, this thing called mate, which is kind of like a herbal tea. I don't know, it's weird looking. Uh, I got some if you want to try it later. Um, and they invited me to drink this thing. And this, in Uruguay, this is like a com communal thing that they do. They pass it around. So once you're part of the circle, like you're invited into that community. And that, they were like, do you like mate? And I didn't at that time. I was, because it's awful. But I was like, yeah, I love it, for sure. Why not? So I sat down, took a sip of it, burned everything as it came down. I think a tear was popping up there. And I was like, mm, delicious, delicious. And stay there. So those three guys that I met, 
those were the first students that, that I actually got to, you know, build a relationship with. And one of them, the one that offered me Mati, next year when we finally had a campus house and events running and all of that, I got the, I was, um, I got the opportunity to baptize that same guy mm -hmm. at the end of that year. So that was, yes. Very cool. <clears throat> so, um, one of the things that I said earlier was that the part of the beauty of generosity is, again, not just the results, but the, the stories, right? So that was one great story. I love that story of how you guys got started. But from those three guys, this thing has grown pretty significantly. Like you just said, you guys have a, a physical space. It's a beautiful space, by the way, the, the campus house that they have. Um, and that thing is jam-packed with students multiple times a week. So in just the last year or so, what's been your favorite story? Other than uh, people from Discovery coming to visit you, oh, okay. what has been your favorite story recently? i got to find another one now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, so we had uh, this uh, student coming, um, Mateo, one of our, like, you don't have to, you know, you don't have favorites, but... One of my closest uh, students, Mateo, brought one of his, probably his best friend over. And he wasn't a believer, but he was just like an incredible guy. His name is Guille, or Guillermo. And he's just like, from the moment he stepped into the campus house, it was like, oh, this guy is awesome. He's like kind and funny and like loves board games, which is a thing apparently for a lot of people. Um, and I was like, I, I, I was like, I'm gonna, this is gonna be my best friend now. Like, I love this guy. And we really connected. So he began like coming, attending our events like regularly. And from like just a random day, he goes like, hey, so I grew up uh, in a like Christian family, but like Catholic family. So we're kind of like nominal. A lot of people grew up in the Catholic church, but just, you know, they probably got baptized when they were infants and that was it. So that was his story as well, and he was like, yeah, I would, I would really, I don't really believe in all of this, but I would like to, you know, get to know more about it. So would you, do you have time for like meet once a week to read the Bible? And I was like, no, okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, I, I would love to do that. So we started doing that like every week for the last year. And then close to, we have a yearly retreat in, in October, and that's where like our, our baptisms, well, baptisms happen, because we go to the beach, and you know, it's nicer than a small kid's pool in the patio. So I, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to ask him if he wants to get baptized, because you know. So I, we had the conversation, and he told me, yeah, well, I was baptized as, as an infant, but I don't, and I don't, I don't know what what it might mean for my family to get baptized now, like maybe a rejection of their faith and all of that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, there's no pressure, just think about it. So he decided not to get baptized at the retreat. But after, after the retreat, like a few weeks in, in November, he sent me a text with, hey, we need to talk. And I don't know if you, those are usually not good news. Whenever I get one of those, I'm like, oh no, what happened now? <laughs> so I got that text and I'm like, yeah, sure, whenever you want. So we, we met like later that, that day uh, at the campus house. So we, we, got, we went into the office and he just gets this like piece of paper from his uh, backpack. He goes like, so I had to write this down because I tried to say it out loud a few times and I couldn't do it without crying. 
and he goes into his still cry about what he found at La Ruta, how he rediscovered this God that loves him deeply and that wants to like bring his kingdom to earth. That was like his faith confession right there. And to me, like that moment, it was like that's a reminder. That, that piece of paper now sits in my desk at home because that's a reminder of why we do what we do, that the power of the gospel in people's lives. So we, we did go to another beach later with his family, his closest friends, and my family, and got him baptized. So that was my favorite. So cool. So yeah. cool. <laughs> um, last question is, uh, like, what's one thing that we can be praying for you, your family, your ministry? Yeah, so um, a few things. I'm, I'm on sabbatical right now until the, uh, the end of the year, so for the team, because they're, I mean, it, it's a lot to, to do. We have three new team members that got there in February, so it's still going through language school and doing ministry, you know, it, it's a lot. And then Rachel, who's leading the team, she has uh, Eloisa, a little one-year-old baby, so pray for the team as uh, they continue uh, running events and like uh, meeting new students. That would be great. We also have a project for next January. Um, Claudia, my wife, she's uh, putting together a mission trip to Mexico, to Ciudad Juarez, with uh, Casas por Cristo. So the idea is to build three different houses for people over there with students from um, Montevideo, La Ruta, our ministry, uh, El Oasis from Chile, and El Pozo, which is the Global Scope location in Puebla. So we're raising money for that, and we're also like encouraging, encouraging students to join that trip. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big project. Um, so yeah, those, those two are mainly, I think, and well, for this beautiful family too, why not, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, all right, well, I want to invite you guys to join me in prayer. So if you're able to just extend your hand out, that would be great. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for David and Claudia for bringing them together. Um, the work that you've done in their lives over the years and the passion that you have given them to uh, serve students. Um, God, I pray for just them in this moment, this year, uh, with new team members, with David going on sabbatical, um, raising kids, doing ministry, all the challenges that go along with that, God, that you would uh, really help them as a family to connect well with one another and, and know how to love and serve each other, that you would strengthen this team, this new team that's in a really great place. Uh, God, would you give them what they need to do this work together collectively? Um, would you keep everyone safe and healthy and as they think about big projects coming up in January and other dreams for the future, uh, would you continue to expand their vision for what you are doing uh, in each of them um, and in the students that they serve? And also, God, in just that part of the, the world, uh, it seems pretty clear that you are, you are at work and you are on the move. And so would you give them the ability to notice where you are working and to join you in those places. We pray this over uh, David and his team and all the others that are doing this work alongside them. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank David again. And then uh, I'll invite the band to come back up as we get ready to close our gathering with communion. I, I just want to end with... 
uh, this part of our integrity conversation with this thought. Again, part of what we do when we are generous is, is about freedom from our idols, but the other part of it is the freedom too, right? To participate, to help build God's kingdom. And later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this, but since you excel in everything, he's speaking to a particular church. This is very high praise, right? Excelling in everything. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And I think it's really important that he, he, he says it that way, right? The grace of giving. Not just excel in giving, but excel in the grace of giving. There's a very deep connection between our experience of grace and our ability to be generous. And that connection is called integrity. He goes on to say, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. This is what we remember and celebrate each Sunday as we come to the table. As we gather around the communion table, we remember what Jesus has done for us. That he held on to nothing in order to gain us that he lost his life so that we can find life. That through his poverty, we become rich. Now, this is the good news, right? This is the gospel. And so we remember and celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf, but we also remember and celebrate that it doesn't end there with just us, with, oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me, but it also turns back around and it flows back out into the world. And so all able to experience that good news and that grace. It's good news for each and every one of us, absolutely. But it is also good news for the world. It is good news for others. It is good news for all of us. And so as we wrap up this part of the conversation, I just want to end with, with that idea that there's this connection between our experience of grace and our ability to be generous. And so may you, may you sit with that and wrestle with that and, and have a conversation with God about that if you need to. But to know that this part of our lives, how we hold and posture ourselves towards our finances, it's covered in grace, just like all the other parts of our life. So as we close our time together this morning, we're going to sing another song. But during this, this moment, come to one of the, the four stations around here. Take the the bread and the juice, representing Jesus' body, broken and poured out for you. Broken and poured out for you, but also a reminder that we, when we are broken and poured out for others, it is good news because it looks like Jesus.